Hello, listener. You're listening to Starburst's The Bookworm Podcast here on FabRadioInternational.com. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes. So, what have we got coming up on the show? Lots. Lots. Lots and lots. Well, first of all, of course, we've got the book news. Lots of news this week. Later on, we'll be talking to Fiona Moore about uh, her work on a Battlestar Galactica book. Which is all jolly interesting. And uh, uh, we'll be doing some book reviews. I will be reviewing Eva Darrow's The Awesome! <laughs> and uh, I'll be reviewing Under My Skin by so, James Dawson. So our theme, approximately book-wise, is teenage girls doing fantastic things. And possibly making some really bad choices. Making some very, very bad life choices, possibly. <laughs> coming up next, The Book News. Book news coming up. Um, what's happening in the world of books? Shall we get up to the sad, sad bit first? Sad bit first. Um, author Tani Lee uh, is dead. Um, she passed away on the 24th of May and she was a British writer of science fiction, horror, and fantasy. Very, very prolific. Over 90 novels and 300 short stories, uh, children's picture book called Animal Castle, and many, many poems. Uh, she's also written two episodes of the BBC science fiction series Blake Seven, uh, first woman to win the British Fantasy Award for Best Novel, um, uh, also known as the August Dareth Award, award um, for her book Death's Master in 1980. Um, she died peacefully in her sleep after a long illness. And we are all very, very sad about it. I think Tanifli is one of those authors that we, we all know at some level because if you've read any anthology, you know, any genre anthology, you'll have read a Tanifli story. You'll have you know, you've you'll have read at least one of one of her, her novels probably, um, or one of her stories or seen something that she's done or you know, her influence she's one of those authors that influences has been felt for, you know, the long range of her career. Um, strongly feminist voice great author fantastic stories um will be sadly sadly missed and um gosh you know you look at these things and you just think just way too young Mm. (sighs) um on to slightly brighter slightly more hilarious news um john scaldi has signed a massive 10-year fading book deal with Tour, which is worth two point two million pounds, Scalzi. Mm-hmm. Thirteen novels, I think, is signed up for. Thirteen books. Well, he's. I mean, I have to be careful when when we're talking about uh, about John Scalzi because he is a fantastically skilled media manipulator. He is very good at 
advertising and putting forward his product, which is John Scalzi. Mm. And, you know, some of, some of his stuff, Old Man's War is fantastic. Um, you know, I, I he won a Hugo for red shirts. I don't think he should have. I didn't like it. Um, lots of people disagree. He he runs a fan, he plays a fantastic game of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he definitely definitely gamifies Twitter very much. So he's had Guardian articles praising him for his you know for his dealing with tro- trolls and all of this. But you could argue the other way that he fully embraces that sort of. Thing you know, he plays Twitter very well, and he plays social media very well. Um, you, you know, talk bad, talk good. As long as they're talking about you, that's all that matters. I, I think, I think that's that's the thing. I was thinking about this this morning. He's very much the the, the, the you know the the John Crichton of his age. Mm. Uh, you know, Jurassic Park's Crichton. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very much that sort of you know very much on in touch with the zeitgeist knows how to make a good deal knows how to write good sci-fi i've not read lock in i've heard very good things about it mm-hmm. i like old man's war i i find john scalzi hit and miss myself um and i'm not enchanted with his twitter personality but good for him and to be honest he is a, a powerful and positive figure in the in the genre book scene see i think in 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 a world that's moving you know, more towards independently um, published books and more and more people want to write and be out there. He's an inspiration because, you know, he does his own marketing. He's he's his PR and his PA, he does it all and he sells himself really well, uh, which is a part of what being an author nowadays in this huge market. So, you know, overfilled with, with product, uh, you've got to be able to do that. So good on him and one of the backwashes of that of course is that his substandard nemesis um <laughs> of vox day um who we won't refer to much on this show because um whereas john scalzi has a massive body body of work and uh, much of it is enjoyable and you can argue backwards and forwards which bits you liked but there was definitely bits of it that you will have liked at some point um i don't think vox day has contributed much to be honest uh, and he's kind of He's kind Personal of, opinions, Edward. It's always so controversial. Well, he's kind of hung on John Scalzi's reputation by being a kind of foil to it. Mm. And he's been like a loud-mouthed, angry person in the, in the corner. And I think as Scalzi's star rises because he's put the work in and he's produced the work, Vox Day will become less and less relevant. Um, he's pretty much become, you know, he's been a, been a bit of a footballer, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Roxy is not happy, we don't care. Um, he is the substandard nemesis. Uh, <laughs> Fallen Lon- London is on iTunes. We like Fallen London. We, they sponsor the Kitchies. Uh, Fail Better Games is awesome. You can get that game on iTunes. Yes, we're talking about a video game on a book show. Uh, if you don't understand why we are, then you should play the game and you should oh, read it. Oh, yes, yes. Um, not play it you should read it it's really well written mm-hmm. um, let's see what else is happening Neil three Gaiman? wins for Gaiman Graveyard woo, at the Audio Awards uh, audio adaptation of Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book won three awards at the US OD Awards which recognise achievements in audiobooks uh, recording was produced by Harper Collins Audio and Creative Content and the cast features people like Derek Jacoby, Miriam Margoyles Amelia Fox Ooh, Lenny Henry and Neil Gaiman himself. Um, I, I know. Like it's nice when you know obscure figures like Neil Gaiman get recognition. 
<laughs> to be fair, though, I mean, you know, the, the Graveyard Book is amazing. It's it's game, and we don't care. It's, it's amazing. It, it's Jungle Book of Ghosts, which I, I love as a pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, there's and, a li- and, you know, good to see that unknown actors like Dave Jacobean and Miriam Margulis are getting work. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Encouraging their careers. We, we, we shouldn't tell various Miriam Margulis stories. No, Because this is a family show. Indeed. Uh, and uh, there's a lit themed club launched <gasps> in London. Uh, what is this thing? It's called the Late Night Library Club because obviously oh. they're closing libraries, so they're just putting bars in them and opening them again as pubs. Apparently, hey. uh, he said slightly angrily. Mm. Um, uh, I, am night- zen, I am Zen. <laughs> I am doing my calming exercises. <laughs> the Late Night Library Club has been set up by the team behind the Amy Grimehouse Grime Cinema. <laughs> Uh, and Arts Club Night uh, celebrates Trashy Camp and uh, Cult and Transgressive. So, mm, okay. So the first event is named Tipping the Velvet. The drag, drag, queen, King, drag, drag Kings, Kings Music Hall, Identity and Performance. Why do these things always happen in London? I was just thinking that. We're, Manchester, come on, wake up. You, you're, you're, you are the alternative scene in the UK where's like, your juice show us the juice I'd like to point out that as members of the alternative scene in Manchester we, anyway well, maybe should yeah, we yeah, it's, just one, it's one of those things isn't it if we had more time because how many creative projects have the three of us got between <laughs> it's ludicrous yeah no. and, and we have to you know pay a mortgage guys uh huh uh huh but if you wish to sponsor us and just, yeah. you know, if you've got lots of money and you're like, mm, what could I do with all this money? Uh, I don't really need it. Just, just you know, drop us a line. We're mm. on Facebook, you know, we're, we're, Radio we're, Bookworm. We're, we're, we're playing with considering a, a Patreon, but it's only, it's only mm. a very dim and dim eye, idea in the twinkle of somebody's eye. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... Shall we? Shall we move? Random on? Move millionaire, on. we need you. Yes, random millionaires, please sponsor us. <laughs> um, but uh, moving forward, I think I'm going to review a book. You can catch us, by the by, on social media via Radio Bookworm, which is a, a Twitter thing. Uh, we're at Radio Bookworm. We're also on Tumblr as Radio Bookworm. If you go to Facebook, you can type in Radio Bookworm and you'll find the Starburst Bookworm podcast. Um, either we have an owl and a raven. They're both called Radio Bookworm, though they have they prefer to be called by better names. Um, indeed, if you have a better name for the, the Radio Bookworm owl, then tweet us and um, appropriately. Oh... Uh, and and we will rename our owl possibly. Can we have a turtle as well and call it Terry? Oh. Turtles take ages to send messages. Shh, no, not if they're in space. That's a good point. Anywho, <laughs> we um, have we have gone off on a tangent and no talking we talking about the things that are weird. So soon, you surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> talking of things that are weird and bizarre, but also mm. quite wonderful. Um. Well, let's get to the world of the awesome, though producer Al seems to have brought sweets into the studio. No, no, I found the sweets. The sweets are already here. They're found sweets. They're found sweets. I'm assuming the people, whoever does the shows on Saturday, sometimes just leaves us random sweets. And, you know, it's all been found so far. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, I'm getting horribly distracted. And I was going to be talking about, rather than eating sweets, I was going to be talking about eating brains or possibly blood. Um, it all depends on what we're talking about. The Awesome is by Eva Dowers, otherwise known as Hilary Monaghan. Um, 
I don't know why she's used the pseudonym for this particular book, because it's rather good. The plot is, 17-year-old Ma- Maggie Cunningham is a tough, smart and, smart and sassy. She's also not like other girls her own age. Well, I would say so. For start, she's homeschooled. Okay. She's being homeschooled because her mother um, has a, a very complicated life schedule, by which I mean she's a monster hunter. She hunts vampires. Oh. Her mum hunts vampires, and she's inducting her daughter into the family business. Mm-hmm. Hunting monsters, um, so you know Maggie. Maggie, uh, you know, on one way, she's like your regular teenage girl in the fact that she's worried about finding a boyfriend. She needs to qualify for the exam she wants so she can do the career that she wants to do, and you know she has difficulty making friends. Um, in actuality, um, the qualifications she's trying to get are monster hunting exams. One of the reasons that she needs a, a boyfriend is, is, well, is this. Um, you can't go vampire hunting if you're a virgin. You see, young vampires go crazy for the smell of virgin blood, especially virgin girls. It sends them completely crazy and uncontrollable, which, of course, is a health and safety issue. <coughs> so... I think you just killed producer <laughs> Al. So, uh, to, to mitigate this potential... No, this is funny because I recently did a health and safety course with my work. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't part of it. I've, I've had a lot. I've had a lot of compliance training because I've done health and safety. I'm oh, doing risk assessment next week. The cosh form on vampires <laughs> says uh, keep virgins away because it causes a volatile, volatile reaction. Um, Moving on. So she has to go and find someone to uh, deflower her, essentially. Um, but she's very, you know, she's been raised by a, a mom who is very much a kind of almost. A, almost a teenager herself it's not that she's not responsible it's just that she you know likes to play rock music loud and fall asleep in her underwear and generally chill out but she's raised her child well she's just kind of rough and ready she's a rough and ready adult so so her daughter she her response to her daughter is like you know don't get pregnant don't get diseases but you know go out and enjoy yourself you're old enough to to know what you want okay so so maggie goes to a party bills miserably to uh, to to find a find a young man and it's kind of sweet because stuff happens and stuff goes on and there's a kind of do you know what it's almost like a realistic relationship you read up so many young adult novels where the relationship is you know not not the kind of thing that most people encounter it's not a thing where they're two desperate ner- nervous teenagers and they don't know what they're doing. And there's normally a, this big, long build-up of romance where they get to know each other. And then there's not the, you're nice, oh, nice boots, bed. You know, which is what happens to, uh, it's the experience of many a human being across the planet. And and Maggie has this sort of an experience, though obviously the course of true love does not run smooth, and this is certainly not true love. So she... Has you know she ends up with a boyfriend even though she didn't intend to have one, and she's still trying to sort her life out when it comes to what she wants. Um, it's not helped by the fact that they bump into a zombie who seems to know her own mind, um, as well as hungering, hungering, hungering for the minds of others, but mostly seems to know her own mind. What we get here with the awesome is a first-person perspective story about a teenager who knows who she wants to be, doesn't know how to get there doesn't know anything about romance, doesn't really know much about people, has a moral code that hasn't been fully formed yet because she's 17, and at the same time is having to deal with ghouls, ghasts, beasties, and all sorts of horrible things. Um, 
the world itself, because we, we can, I think at this point when it comes to urban fantasy novels, we can talk about how the world is built. Um, there are obvious influences from stuff like The World of Darkness. Um, there's vampires and ghouls, and there's a, the lineage system, which is, you know, it, The World of Darkness itself is influenced by a whole plethora of, you know, vampire novels from the 80s and 70s and 80s, and then The World of Darkness came out and kind of codified a lot of stuff. And, um, the author has clearly... I can't, can't decide if I'm going to keep calling it Eva Darrow's or call it, call it Hilary Monaghan. Darrow slash Monaghan, sort of world, her monsters. But she's also added her own twists and her own little bits and pieces. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a touch of Hamilton there. There's, a, there's even a touch of Twilight in places. There's, there's a lot of fairly well-done world-building when it comes to the supernatural. Um, and I like the way that everything is nicely ordered. Um... The plot broadly hinges on the mother-daughter relationship, Maggie and her mom. Um, I found it funny. I was amused all the way through. I found the awesome to be awesome. Ah, I see what you did there. Um, see, I'd say call her Eva Darus because when people go and ask for the book, that's the name that, that will be under the author name. That's true. But, you know, and it's clearly it's clearly pitched at the young adult market. It's got that... You know, all the way, the book itself is bright green with pink and it's got like that black edging that they seem to do on, on books these days where they colour the edge of the pages and oh bless the, the book you're we, we match we because match. yeah, we, we match in a punk rock teenage way because Ed's book's got black around the pages mine's got pink like that big bright um, gothy punk Mine's pink. and the cover is neon green with pink and writing. mine's neon pink with black and white writing. So, yay! But um, <laughs> this is on uh, Ravenstone, which is uh, a, a branch. So, would you say? I mean, obviously, young adult, but you seem to have enjoyed it, and you're not a young adult. How dare you? Uh, very easily. <laughs> I'm very much not a young adult. Do you know what? There's, there, there is a part of me that was sitting there going, "I can see the mechanics that are winning underneath here. I can see the plot mechanism. I can, I can." But that's because you've probably read about a thousand young adult books. So you, you know, yeah, there's I a can, part of you that sees it coming. I can recognise the plot mechanisms. I can recognise the character building. I can recognise the point where the author went. At this point, I need to put some exposition in so I can understand. You know, so the reader can understand what I'm doing, despite all the fact that I, you know, know how the trick is done I enjoyed it immensely goody and that's to me that's a very good sign of an extremely well written uh, young adult novel is when you pick up a young adult novel uh, or you pick up any novel and you especially a genre novel and you go oh no I can see what's going to happen next but I'm having so much fun because the story is entertaining the characters are entertaining and if you know if we ignore the fact that we can occasionally see the boom mic hmm um, and, and you know that that person isn't acting as well as they should do. I'm still enjoying the, the drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed it very, very much so. Um, I would recommend it if you are not a, a teenager and you are looking for a bit of supernatural silliness. Um, and again, I always say this, but you know, you, ha- you have a bus trip or a train journey mm-hmm. or something ahead, um, and you just want something to read and throw away. I believe it's currently available on Kindle for quite cheap. So mm. get your hands on it. It's quite fun. If you are a, a young adult sort of audience person, um, oh, you'll have fun. You'll enjoy this <laughs> immensely. If you are, in fact, a teenage girl who's who's trying to work out your career choices, <laughs> be ace, actually. Mm-hmm. It occurs to me I could have handed this. Anyway, um, <laughs> I could have handed this to random family members and gone, read this, it's fun. And then they've gone, thanks, Eddie, you 
weird, weird, weird person. Uh, <laughs> relative. So, yes, that's on Ravenstone. Uh, it is written by Eva Dowles. It's called The Awesome. And Ravenstone, of course, are part of the, the Rebellion group. Um, and we enjoyed it immensely, and it's out now. Across the world, 24 hours a day. So, uh, ages ago, it feels like many, many months ago, which it was, uh, we were, myself and producer Al, were at Sci-Fi Weekend. Uh, Sci-Fi Weekend was an event in Wales, um, and they were the great and the good from Tellus Publishing knocking around. Our intention was to talk to everyone at Tellus Publishing about their wonderful novels. That's not exactly what happened, because mostly we spent our time running around and partying, because one of the things we forgot <laughs> about Sci-Fi Weekend is it's a great big nerd disco. Um, <laughs> One of the things we did get a chance to do, though, is we got to catch up with Fiona Moore, who has a book out and tell us about Battlestar Galactica. Uh, if you can hear the chink of wine glasses whilst we're talking away, it's, be- it, it's there's a reason for that. Yeah, it was water. It was tap water. No, it was totally wine. Um, <laughs> we had a lovely time, and Fiona was uh, very interesting to chat to, so that's coming up next. This is Fab Radio International. Welcome to the Bookworm, Fiona Moore. Thank you, Ed. So, uh, tell us about your most recent work. Well, I've just got a book out from Telos Publishing. It's volume two of a two-volume guide to Battlestar Galactica that I've co-written with Alan Stevens. Uh, this volume covers the new series from 2003 to 2013, all the way from the pilot, aired 12 years ago now, all the way up to Blood and Chrome. What challenges do you face when you're assembling um, a telefantasy novel like that? Sorry, a telefantasy work like that? Well, it really depends on the series and on the timing of the series. Uh, Alan and I have co-written guidebooks to The Prisoner, Blake Seven, um, and Battlestar Galactica, and we also uh, do an article series on Doctor Who. And we find that uh, with the older series, the issue is uh, research, uh, finding out um, the information, finding out who's got the information, jogging the memories of people who uh, um, may or may not remember what happened on a TV show 40, 50 years ago. Uh, With a new series, though, we found it's a very different challenge. This is the first time we've really tackled uh, a uh, 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 post-20... This is the first time we've tackled a 21st century series. And the challenge there at first was that there's too much data, you know, because everybody's doing podcasts, they've got websites, there are interviews, there is just so much information everywhere. And the challenge then was to try and decide what was important. But the interesting thing was that uh, we also found, though, that uh, we were watching information disappear because we started writing the book before the series ended. And the fascinating thing afterwards, as we were doing the revising, was that we found that the interviews would go down, the websites would shut, the uh, podcasts would uh, get taken down, people would stop transcribing things. Um, 
you know, so it was uh, really strange. We were seeing the sort of data creep that had happened to the programs from the 60s and 70s uh, happening now in real time. What was what was the, the biggest challenge when pursuing people to talk to and finding information? Uh, about Battlestar Galactica? Yes. Well, the fact that most of them live on a different continent to us, <laughs> that was one of the biggest challenges. Um, it was helpful, though, uh, that um, I'm Canadian, I'm from Toronto, and Battlestar Galactica was shot in Canada and uses a lot of Canadian actors. So um, the fact that uh, we have a Canadian connection meant that uh, we could track people uh, down uh, a lot more easily. We also had a lot of help from North American fans and from a Dutch fan named uh, Marcel Deman. If you're listening, Marcel, hi and thank you, um, because we, we, we keep crediting him because we cannot credit him enough. He was invaluable in uh, providing introductions and uh, draft scripts. And um, yeah, um, the uh, but, you know, you build on connections. There's a lot. It was also several actors from the UK who were involved with Battlestar Galactica, who we were able to uh, uh, have second, uh, you know, second or third hand contacts with. And uh, you just network. You really just network. Once you've been on the con circuit enough, you network, you find your networks can extend everywhere. What's next, project-wise? What, uh, what series are you going to take up next? Well, that's uh, what uh, we're currently deciding. We're doing a lot of work on Doctor Who at the moment because we had to put that a little to the side to finish up the Battlestar Galactica book. So we've got a, uh, we've got a series that we do with uh, the uh, Doctor Who Appreciation Society. It comes out in their magazine, and then we publish it on their website called uh, 50 Things About... And we take a Doctor Who story and we do 50 things and uh, we always divide it. So it'll be like 27 stupid things about ghost light and 23 cool ones. And then we add at the end, but we're not telling you which is which. You have to figure that out for yourself. And uh, because Alan is uh, going to be soon doing an interview with Andrew Carmel, um, we've been basically doing a gigantic Cartmel retrospective. We've done every story except Paradise Towers because we couldn't come up with enough things to say about it. <laughs> But every other story we are doing. So at the moment, we're um, working on the Doctor Who um, thing. After that, we're juggling a lot of possibilities. Um, we'd love to do Space 1999 or possibly UFO. Um, but we're, think we're open to all possibilities, uh, possibly even Dollhouse or Firefly or, uh, you know, it just really depends on what uh, opportunities come up. What is it about fans that make us so fascinated to find the minutia of, of the things that we love? Well, as well as a fan, I'm also an academic. I uh, work at uh, Royal Holloway, University of London, and I see the same drive in fans that I see in academia. It's the drive to know, you know, when you love something, when you uh, love a program or you fi uh, find out something about it, you really want to know. And this was what got me uh, into fandom, really. You know, I'd uh, see a series like Blake Seven, and I would say, oh, this is wonderful. What do people know about Blake Seven? So, you know, I went and tracked down the guidebooks, and, uh, you know, as a teenager in Canada, I went and tracked down guidebooks and tracked down fanzines and, uh, you know, tried to uh, meet the actors who obviously were on a different continent to me at that time, and, uh, you know, I just tried to find out everything I could about it, and uh, I see that, uh, that it's the drive to know, really, that I see. What is the most um, satisfying and also most interesting to you thing you've found out in your long career of hunting down these tiny details? Well, there's no one single thing, but I would say that it's um, when you 
piece things together on a program, the most satisfying thing is when you can discover, when you've got a really good program that's really well written, there's usually a lot of subtexts, a lot of things that aren't said in the program, but are there for you to figure out. And that's really what I love reading. Like um, when we've been working on this Battlestar Galactica book, for instance, um, we um, started actually tracing Starbucks arc as a character. And it's really a lot darker than most people think, you know, because uh, the writing team originally, actually, they started peddling back, you know, in their original drafts of scripts and so forth, Starbuck becomes really a quite villainous character before she dies. And then after she dies, well, heaven knows what she is. And so, and they peddled it back. They edited it so that uh, she's not quite as nasty as she seems. And uh, it's very believable for the character. And you can just sort of trace that path as she kind of basically descends into hell and then finds redemption in the end through her death, you know. And then through, um, there's an ambiguity after her death about whether she's carrying on her redemption or whether quite possibly, you know, she's actually leading the fleet to its end in a literal sense, you know. I won't uh, spoiler the book. Buy the book if you want, but uh, we have found some, uh, we've uh, gone through the final episode and a lot of people say, what in heaven's name was that about with the final episode? But there's some things that it's about that nobody's ever talked about that we've written in our book. And, uh, you know, they um, really, really cast a dark light over the future of the human race. If we're in the Battlestar Galactica universe, that is. And talking of all things BSG, are you tempted to go back to the original series as well? And do we it? did. Actually, thank you, Ed. We did. Uh, volume one of the two-volume Battlestar Galactica series covers the original series and Galactica 1980. Yes, we went there. <laughs> and um, it is actually a really, really good series. And a lot of people talk about how, them as the two separate series, but the original series really is. Uh, it really has a lot in common with the, uh, the reimagined series. The themes are there. The presentation is different. You know, it's a bit like... Have you seen that uh, Game of Thrones 90s trailer, you know, where they do Game of Thrones, it was a 90s series. And you look at it and you sort of think, yeah, actually, you know, you could picture Game of Thrones done in 90s style with a kind of dog barks and everybody laughs at the end of the episode sort of thing, like Xena Warrior Princess. It's like that with um, Battlestar Galactica original. It's following a lot of the same themes as the new series. There's a lot of the same attention to detail, characterization, arc. You know, and even the dark places that the new series go to, the original series goes to. War of the Gods is really a very, very dark story indeed. Um, but it's done, because it's done in this 70s kind of post-Star Wars, you know, kind of um, chapter play. And it all came to pass that this happened and we have a bunch of scrolling text, you know, that, uh, you know, people maybe don't realize that uh, there is this connection to the new series. So we tried to bring that out when we were writing about it. What obstacles do um, show producers frequently put in that makes it difficult for you as an archivist? What should they not be doing to make your life easier? Well, what I would really like them not to do um, is something that they obviously do for their own uh, uh, very rational reasons, which is put do not leak on their scripts and stamp the, uh, the name of the person on the script just to make sure that there are no leaks because if the leak goes out then they know which actor leaked it. Uh, the technical crew have been an absolute boon to us because the technical crew don't give a damn. <laughs> they don't care. You know, the, the show is over. They put their scripts on eBay. Um, the um, actors, producers and so forth obviously have all got their names stamped on the script. So they're all very anxious about it getting out. So they don't, though. Some of them now, now that the series is over, some of them aren't uh, now. But 
the TV producers, they want to keep confidentiality, and that's understandable. However, confidentiality is the absolute uh, anathema of people who are writing books about the series, because we want the information. We want them. And I can see it from the other side, because um, as somebody who's been involved in radio production and in writing myself, you know, I can think, you know, sort of, I really would not want somebody to have access to my hard drive and to read my rough drafts and say, ooh, you know, the first draft of this really good story was actually really crap, you know. Or, you know, this person had a real fight with this person and it was really hard, you know, for the people to do that, you know. And, uh, you know, so um, I can respect, on the one hand, as uh, somebody who's been there, I can respect, you know, you don't want um, a, an arch a dirty archivist finding your dirty laundry. But on the other hand, as an archivist, I want that dirty laundry. You know, I want that first draft. I want to know, you know, what, uh, how the uh, original terrible idea transformed itself into a beautiful, wonderful story. Three very silly questions to finish off. Uh, firstly, Simpsons or Futurama? Futurama every time. Uh, old school Battlestar Galacticus or new? Battle? Both. Totally both. And finally, truth or beauty? Truth. Thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. FabRadioInternational.com If you were just listening to the show, you'll have heard our interview with Fiona Murray, where we talked about uh, Bio Command, which is a book available on Talus Publishing. Um, about Battlestar Galactica. About Whee! Battlestar Galactica. In case there was any doubt that we were a genre book show. Um, <laughs> talking of genre books. Talking of genre books. Today, me and Ed are are, are tackling that that um, darkest and, and most difficult time in any girl's life, <laughs> which is the teenage years. Um, so today I'm looking at um, Under My Skin, a um, book by James Dawson, uh, published by the awesome Hotkey Books. Um, uh, it's a young adult book, and um, the story revolves around the lovely Sally, Sally Feather, who's a teenage girl and goes to school. It's set in the UK. Um, she has her two best friends, a boy and a girl best friend. Um, they do everything together like best friends do. They they are absolutely, completely obsessed with this um, show called Satanville, um, which... Um, it, as I was reading, it kind of reminded me of like things like the Vampire Diaries and that, that sort of show. Um, uh, Sally lives um, like in the nicest part of town. She has a very traditional family, strict parents that wanted to do really well in school and and be uh, prepared for for life in in the most traditional way. Um, but she's actually quite shy. She's she's um, someone that doesn't put herself out. She's a bit afraid. She doesn't know. Um, what life is going to bring for her. Um, she's a bit envious of the popular girls in school. Uh, and then one day, um, on a chore for her mum, she goes out to the to a, a bit of a seedy part of town uh, to go to the post office and collect a, a package for her dad. Um, and as she's walking, things go a little bit scary, and she, she's walking through 
um, uh, this sort of like little alleys and then all of a sudden um, there's a, a few homeless people and this homeless guy starts following her so she gets a bit freaked out uh, ducks into an alley and the only place that she sees open is um, this tattoo parlour so she she sort of ducks into the tattoo parlour to try and find a place to be safe um, and um, as she's there this lovely lady approaches and it's a very nice sort of atmospheric place and with big heavy drapes and uh, uh, she starts talking to this lady called Rosita and Rosita's really nice and sort of like offers a you know a shelter until the, the, the bad man outside goes away and um, obviously you're you're in this place and you, she starts looking around and as she looks around her eye sort of falls um, on this beautiful drawing of this of this girl who is everything that Sally would like to be but could never be and she's sassy she's confident she she's like summer she's hot and beautiful and and you know all the things that Sally dreams she could be and so Rosita notices that she's so um, enthralled by this by this drawing tells her a little bit about her and she tells her this is Molly Sue and Molly Sue is a little bit of a bad girl but if there's anything that you need uh, she can give you the confidence to be whatever you want to be. Um, obviously, Sally's a little bit like, no, I don't know, my parents probably hate this and uh, I don't really have any money. Uh, and so Rosita's like, you know what, I'll I'll see because I, the tattoo artist is one of those that, you know, he would be so honoured to sort of be the first one to, to tattoo your skin that he might even do it for free. Mm. So... As things work out, Sally lives the tattoo parlour with Molly Sue on her back, with this little secret that makes her feel special and all of a sudden a little bit more empowered and a bit more womanly. You know, she has a say in what her body is and starts imagining, you know, how cool it will be to sort of, like, show it to her friends and have something that's just hers, this big secret. And then that night, as she lies in bed, a little bit uncomfortable because, you know, a new tattoo is starting to be a bit itchy, she starts hearing voices. Oh, dear. Oh dear. <laughs> now, three guesses. It's, 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 it's you know, the neighbours, the TV, or is it the tattoo on her back? <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to go for option C. <laughs> and you would be right. And so a little bit of... um. Um, a journey starts for poor little Sally Feather. Um, a journey that will bring many good things, many, many bad things, and some pretty poor choices. Um, so that, that, that's, in a nutshell, is the premise of the book. Um, if, I mean, as I was reading it, it's written so well. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's written really well. Um, it was like watching a, a bit of a horror version of Mean Girls. So you've got the three popular girls that everyone loves and everyone hates and they all want to be them and they all want to hate on them, including Sally. Um, and, you know, she's got her, her friends and she she loves the, the most, you know, she's got a crush on the most popular guy in school who just happens to be the most popular girls in school boyfriend and all that. And she's shy but has this amazing singing voice and there's a show going on and she really wants a part in the show and so gone and so on and so forth. And and it's it's just very, very recognisable as you know, it's written so well from from 
uh, the teenage girl um, sort of point of view. It's not a first person. It's sort of like a third person. So you get to watch as Sally does things and you get to hear what she's thinking and what she's doing. Um, and it follows her around, um, sort of like experiencing all these things and the changes that happen in her life. Uh, but it is really, really well written and such a, like, it's a very quick read. It's one of those that you'll start reading and you're going to be like, I really want to know how this ends. Um, there's, you know, there's a bit of romance, but it's not the focus. It, the focus is the journey of this young girl into sort of taking ownership of her own body and, and her own growth and her own mind and and it's done really really well now I actually was I have to say surprised uh, in a very pleasant way because this is a, a, a book that's written um, by a guy who obviously has a really good grasp on what you know being a teenager is and a really really interesting view on what being a teenager girl he is and there's not a lot of of men that tackle young adult especially from a girl's point of view um so i found it really really interesting to look at it that way um you look a bit perplexed Fred. no I'm, I'm i'm just um listening <laughs> listening in intently, intently. <laughs> uh, but yeah it's a really really enjoyable book and again very very um similar to the awesome in the way that if you're a teenage girl or boy and you pick this up you'll really enjoy it if you're a grown-up and you want something that is really well written, but it's easy, it's fresh, it's a bit of a giggle in places, and actually has those elements of thriller and horror that sort of like can, will make you sort of look around in, in, in places and think, oh, <laughs> what's going on here? I saw a shadow pass outside my window. <laughs> so is it actually generally scary? It's not. I mean, to me, it wasn't, oh, my God, scary. But there are elements of, of horror and th more thriller almost than, than, than horror. Um, it reminded me things like, you know, those, those teenage horror flicks that you can see, like The Covenant. And that is that kind of vibe. So you won't jump on your child, but you'll definitely look around from the corner of your eye just to make sure there's nothing untoward happening in the house or outside the house. Um, but yeah, it, it's got that vibe, but it, it won't make you jump out of your skin if someone suddenly asks you a question, I would say. Um, so who's it by and what's it on? So it's um, Under My Skin by James Dawson. It's published by Hot Key Books. It's a young adult, but definitely one that everyone can enjoy. So our inadvertent theme. <laughs> inadvertent theme. Girls making some really no, bad no, you, choices. You, you, really, you really need to try try and stop pretending that we actually plan this. <laughs> we we <laughs> kind of do pretend that we plan this, but um, but we I, totally didn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it's it's. I, I'm going to try and go for the hat trick and try and tie in our interview with Fiona Moore where she was talking about um, Battlestar Galactica. Well, she was talking about Starbucks journey. Yeah. Which you know, the, a young woman in this case, and change and bad and good choices and how she might appear to be um, almost evil in places. And she's yet, not she's, the hero of that no. show. She really isn't. And you kind no. of you assume. You kind of you get drawn in by the character, and you're like, "Ooh," and then you realise actually, you know, you're not a good person. Mm. These are not good choices. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I liked about the awesome actually is Maggie is a good person. Maggie is genuinely a good person with a very limited, with a really cool but very limited set of life experiences. Mm. So she has massive difficulty relating to normal people. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't do that all old cliche of oh whatever they are it, it goes well no these these people go to school they have nice cars they have a life these people you know get on with their lives they are definitely normal people normal people do not go you know do not go home at five o'clock in the morning covered in in ghoul batter yes after after fighting monsters yeah I, I don't want to be a normal person anymore no yeah, it's yeah. boring. Yes, but given the fact that our day job is, you know, hunting down supernatural werewolves, no, it's not. No. <laughs> Isn't it? I, no, I, I applied for that job. I didn't have the GCSEs. Oh, ironically. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I can see how we could tie that, that in as well with the interview. Um, I, did, I, did, I, I do enjoy these kind of stories quite a bit. Um, now and then, you know, now and then it's just nice to... To think back on on who I was about twenty years ago, and and you know what my choices would have been, and yeah, I mean even in in under my skin, Sally is a good person uh, who wants things, um, but because she wants some of those things so bad, she makes some poor choices. She gets, it's not even that she gets duped easily. Uh, because it's not even completely her choice. It's, it's you know with the tattoo, it's more like. She gets lured into it because she wants it so bad, um, and so she makes uh, poor, poor judgment choices and and ends up in a lot of trouble. It's one of those things. If I realised I was in a young adult novel world, especially a supernatural kind of urban fantasy world, mm. I, I would. I mean, I don't have a tattoo anyway, but I would avoid tattoos, <laughs> just in general, because they are always either cursed or come with some sort of price or catch. Oh yeah. I'd also invo- uh, uh, avoid sideshows. Carnivals, carnivals, Ooh. definitely fortune tellers of any sort. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I, I was raised by a fortune teller. <laughs> oh, led oh, fortune. I was told all the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving swiftly on. So, so really you just, just just flashed some ink at me. I did flash some ink at you. I've, I've got a tattoo. It's not cursed. That's what you think. <laughs> I've had it for enough years that I would know. <laughs> you see a lot of Deathly Hallow tattoos. I know. I, I, I saw the other day uh, there was an article on... Sure uh, that's a good uh, idea. Buzz, Buzzfeed, Buzz, what's it called? Buzzfeed. 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 Um, and it covered, like, uh, awesome book tattoos. And there were quotes from, like, great classics, like To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, there were a lot of Harry Potter-inspired tattoos. There was the cutest one. It was an owl, but it was supposed to be Harry as an owl Ooh. with his little, like, um, the, the, scar, the scar on the forehead and the, the glasses. And t- It was absolutely adorable. Um, and, and, you know, books touch lives and people want to remember. And sometimes books come into your life 
um, at special moments and, and because they are so special to you, you just want them on your skin. Um, and I note that the fans of the Peter V. Brett books, however, don't cover themselves in runes. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> it was actually quite funny because under my skin, when uh, when Sally goes into the tattoo parlour and starts looking around, the first thing she looks for is this tattoo from the show that she loves which is that Satanville show in the book. And it's like it's like a rune around a numeral, uh, Roman numeral thing because that's like the, the one of the guys in, in one of the supernatural guys belongs to this um, secret, society. secret society thing. And so she wants that, which, I, you know, I completely, I can see how a teenager would totally go for that or for something out of a book that they really loved. See, this is a strange book tying to my next, my next statement. The TV show... Supernatural, yes. Which in itself has an entire thing about fan fiction and fiction creation, and mm. there were a meta set of novels that describe the adventures and all the rest of it. And we could do an entire show on the the, the kind of fan fiction. You'd be shocked enough to never watch like. Supernatural. Well, they all have the the main characters have an anti possession to do. Mm. Um, it's like a rune that you put in yourself to avoid possession. All right. Um, and I think both of them now have massive belts around that area where they've had the tattoo removed by bad guys then reapplied by, yeah. by friends and removed again because it's <laughs> an important plot point um, and, and so on but that that show really got I mean one of the one of the main characters of at least the earlier seasons is called The Writer mm. and he writes novels and he's kind of a, he's supposed to be like a gospel writer of the the, you know, the the word of Sam and Dean and this sort of thing and there's yeah. fan fiction writers and there's fans and there's fan conventions and this <laughs> sort of thing and it gets very very meta fiction. <laughs> and I should watch totally watch that. And we've gone totally off the point, but it's interesting actually that both these books, both the awesome and Under My Skin, have been influenced fairly heavily by the TV version of uh, Urban Fantasy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are Urban Fantasy books themselves, and certainly there's references in, I've not read Under My Skin, but certainly there's references to Laurel K. Hamilton, and there's references to Martin Haugen. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's there's plenty of stuff in there for people who read other books. Uh, Anne Rice is in there a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um there's a, there's a bit of Stephanie Meyer because she's unavoidable these days, but See, I, I but mostly t- it's the TV that they the you know, supernatural is quite a strong influence. Yeah, I was going to say I don't know. Obviously, I haven't read the awesome, but under my skin, as I was reading it, it's one of those we could easily transform that into either a movie or a short mini series or a TV movie. It lends itself really well because obviously you've got very defined characters, you've got the school, you've got the little life, and then you've got, you know, the cool, which is this horror story about this tattoo uh, basically being alive and, and, and all that comes with it. Um, so, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see if, if that gets picked up. But a lot of young adult books are just being up. Um, option nowadays. I mean, most young adult books are optioned even before people have got it in their hands uh, because I think uh, publishing houses are getting savvy about the fact that a lot of this will be stuff that people would want to be seen. So how much of that is actually making it to screen? Because I know that we've suddenly reached some sort of um, tipping point with Jonathan Green where um, the Fault in Our Stars was the first one and now there's like about another two, either in production or post-production. Mm. John Green. So, yeah, John Green. If if anyone is optioning any works of Jonathan Green, especially Sharkpunk, yes, please. You are the hero. Yeah. But, but like, because the, the, the thing about optioning is, it doesn't necessarily mean it's ever going to make the screen. No, no. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first got into Kelly Armstrong's book, uh, books um, that 
um, she had mentioned in in one of her Facebook chats that Bitten had been optioned originally by the um, by An- Angelina Jolie wanted to play the main character. I, I'm still stepping down from the idea of an interactive version of Bloodborne to by Jonathan Green, where you sit in the cinema and you press buttons to choose where the movie goes. But <laughs> But for those of you who don't get get that, John Green is what the Fulton stars. Jonathan Green writes fighting fantasy novels and is an editor of Snowbooks. Um, they're they're both fantastic authors in their own right. But the whole thing with the rights option, um, we reviewed the Red Queen a little while ago, mm. and the Red Queen by Victoria Avalard, I believe it is, um, got massively optioned before it was even finished as a book. Mm. She she sent in the first two three chapters, and they went, "We're just going to turn this into a movie," and. I reviewed it. I think I threw it at you as well to have a quick mm. look. And we were both like, why? <laughs> and, it, 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 you know, it's the selection with superpowers. Mm. Or, or, you know, the selection with uh, the Hunger Games-esque plot or something. Mm. Um, it's a selection, but not as good. And I didn't particularly like the selection, to be honest. No, um, but, but you know, nowadays, because you're, you're seeing things like the Hunger Games and the Divergent series, and obviously Harry Potter was massive, and, it did, like, it's the cool thing to do. But there, there are script, script writers in Hollywood who have spent their entire careers writing script after script and getting paid good money to write mm. script after script, and the movie never gets made. Mm-hmm. And it just gets, you know, this idea just gets handed around. Development round. hell. Development hell. And it's just the thing that happened with the original League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm. Is a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was developed as five or six different movies before it ended up being the absolute mess that it was. <laughs> and yeah. that's the problem, isn't it? You can kind of tell that in yeah. the end of delivery. It, it was just patched up badly, wasn't it? Um, I think we've, we've gone straight past our theme uh, into a different theme. And I think we're going to have to run and chase it. So we're going to have to go. Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday, 9 p.m. till 11 p.m. Exclusive to Fab Radio International. So, coming up next, we'll have the uh, Manchester Archives. Um, and look forward to listening to that if you're uh, if you've just tuned in. But I'm gonna have to say goodbye. So my name has been Ed Fortune, and it's and now it's me. not anymore. No, it, it's gone to the mists of time. <laughs> it's goodbye from me, Ed Fortune, and goodbye from me, Nympha Hayes. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine, presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes, produced by A. L. Johnson. Mm-hmm.